Fun Ideas Productions presents the Fun Ideas Podcast. Welcome to Season 4. Hi, this is Mark Arnold, and welcome to Fun Ideas Podcast number 110. This episode is sponsored by the fine folks at Lee's Comics. From high atop the stately Lee's Comics mansion, we bring you the Lee's Comics Radio Hour with tonight's special guests, Spider-Man, Superman, Batman, Cerebus the Aardvark, and yours truly, Wally Fields. Friends, have you tried Lee's Comics? Lee's Comics is better than the leading comic book store. Wait a minute. Lee's Comics is the leading comic book store. Based on arbitrary standards set by Lee Hester himself. Lee's Comics eBay store is still going strong with over 10,000 vintage comics, the majority of which are now on sale. For half off, choose from Lee's huge stock of golden, silver, bronze, and modern age comics, and specializing in Silver Age Marvel titles. You can count on friendly service, accurate grading, and quick, secure shipping backed by a money-back guarantee. To check out Lee's eBay store, go to eBay. Click Advanced Search to the left of the search bar. Scroll down to Sellers and enter Lee's Comics, Inc., period. That's L-E-E-S-C-O-M-I-C-S-I-N-C, period. Don't forget the period. Lee's Comics is shipping daily with no delays. New items daily. Mention the Fun Ideas podcast and get a free bonus gift. Long title, Looking for the Good Times, Examining the Monkey Song One by One by Michael A. Ventrella and Mark Arnold. A book that examines each song, gives lots of details about each song and our own personal opinions. You can find this book on Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, and anywhere where good books are being sold. Our webpage is wordpress.monkeys.com, where you can see many of the songs and give your own opinions of them. And we will be discussing this more on Zilch. Hey, Michael, it says here we've written another book about the monkeys. Wasn't the first one enough? Not at all, Mark. Our original book, Looking for the Good Times, Examining the Monkey Songs One by One, was very successful, but only covered half the story. Which half? The group half. Our new book, Headquartered, a timeline of the monkey's solo years, covers the solo half. Who knew the monkeys record so many solo albums? Not only that, but this book covers all of their solo projects, including stage shows, horse racing, running record labels, directing and starring in TV shows and movies, voice acting, and jail. Jail? Did the monkeys go to jail? Ah, you have to read the book to find out. You've sold me. Have you sold them? Who, who, who's them? Those people out there listening to this. Well, listen to this! This book has discographies, photos, and other information about the prefab for Mickey, Davey, Peter, and Mike, the solo monkeys! Plus another nifty cover by Scott Shaw. Wow, he did our last cover. 
And this one's equally good. Where can you get this masterpiece? Announcer. Announcer? That's me. <clears throat> get Headquartered, a timeline of the monkey solo years, written by Michael A. Ventrella and Mark Arnold. Those two guys. It's available in hardback, paperback, or ebook from BearManorMedia.com or from Amazon. Get your copies today. Cool. I'm going to get one today. The Warren Kramer book is still being proofed, and I'm still working on my Mad book and the Kool-Aid article. Kool-Aid Man article, that is. I'm also now working on a new book about the TV cartoon show and video game icon Pac-Man. We'll discuss these and other new projects throughout the year. On today's show, Charles F. Rosene is back, and today he's brought us the lead singer of such groups as the Detergents, the Cufflinks, the Chan Clan, the Archies, and since 2019, the Turtles. Here he is, Ron Dante. Hi, this is Mark Arnold with Fun Ideas Podcast, and I got Charles Rosene again, but he gets me great guests, so that's why I keep having him here. And the big guest today is from the Archies, the world of Archie, <laughs> um, is the incomparable Ron Dante. How are you, sir? I am good today. Nice to be here. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, well, I've interviewed be before for like various Archie projects. Usually it's just how did you get into the Archies and stuff like that. But I don't usually talk to you about like all the other stuff you've done. So I'd like to touch on that. And uh, because Charles and I are working on a Turtles project, we'd like to touch on that and a few other things. So um, okay. uh, one of the things I wanted to start off with, which is really off the wall, but you were on um, uh, Gilbert Gottfried's podcast, and they mentioned that you did the parody of Leader of the Pack called Leader of the Laundromat. How did that one come about? That was an amazing, amazing record. You know, uh, I was writing with two guys up at the Don Kirshner uh, music firm, Danny Jordan, Tommy Wynn. We were writing buddies. We were writing songs for people, trying to get records, and Kirshner was our publisher. Well, Danny, one, one of the guys in the group, Danny uh, Jordan's uncle, was a guy named Paul Vance, who wrote Itsy Bitsy Teeny Weeny Yellow Polka Dot Bikini and uh, a few other major hits. And he came up with this parody of Leader of the Pack. And Danny said, my uncle wants us to come over to the studio, would put our voices on, you know, acting, singing. I said, great, great, it's another gig. So we went, we did it, we did it in like five or six pieces. And I didn't know what it was about. It sounded like a, a hodgepodge of, you know, funny lines and, and different things. But uh, it, when they put it all together, it became Leader of the Laundromat, which, <laughs> what an auspicious beginning for a singer is to have a novelty record that's your first hit and we went out on the road we toured with dick clark's caravan of stars for about six months eight months opening mm -hmm. for the shangri-las <laughs> 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 wow. they would do their hit we'd come out and parry it they they loved it you know? <laughs> so now, that's how that... i got into the detergents that's how leader of the laundromat came about now was that there... was true oh sorry is that truly well, I... your first record uh, i had had some singles before then okay. uh i actually worked with paul vance on a single called Don't Stand Up in a Canoe under the name <laughs> Ronnie Dante. And it was a kind of an answer song, kind of a song like uh, Itsy Bitsy, Teeny Weeny Yellow Polka Dot Bikini. It was the same kind of song, same kind of sound. I even sounded a little bit like Brian Hyland on that one. So <laughs> I had a two or three singles before Leader of the Laundromat, but that was my first association with a hit. 
that got played. It was in every jukebox in America. <laughs> it was on roulette records. So every, all the DJs played it because <laughs> Morris Levy over in roulette records made sure everybody played his records, right? <laughs> so uh, I remember meeting with uh, Morris Levy about royalties, me and the guys. And uh, Morris said, they all came back. Every single that we shipped out, a million singles, they all came back. You'll never see a cent in royalties. And who's going to argue with this guy? He's a big stalker. You know, he's, he's beat, beat the hell out of people. <laughs> I was going to ask uh, two quick questions. Paul Vance, any relation to Kenny Vance from the Belmonts? No, no. They both have different names, last names. And they just have, it's a coincidence that they both chose Vance. And the other question was, was there ever an opportunity where the Shangri-Las and the detergents got on for the encore to reprise it together? Did that ever happen? <laughs> that never happened. But I must say, Mary was the most attractive lead singer, uh, Mary Weiss. And, uh, and everybody was trying to date her on the tour. And of course, she was cool. She, she was friendly, but not too friendly. And it, it, was, it was great at being on tour with her. When you, when you reunited at my RockCon in 2010, she was one of the guests there. Had you been in touch through the years or was that like, whoa, we haven't seen each other in 15 years? What was that like? It was, it was like, whoa. It was wow. like, we haven't seen each other in 50 years, you yeah. know? And she looked great and she still sings great. And she was making new music. I was making some new music. So it, was, it, it showed that music keeps you young and, and alive. Now, who was on that uh, Caravan of uh, Stars tour back then, besides the Shangri-Las and yourself? Well, it was uh, Peter Noon and Hermes Hermits were on it with us. They were the headliners. Freddie and the Dreamers, uh, Freddie Cannon, uh, Billy Stewart, mm -hmm. uh, Little Anthony and the Imperials. Mm -hmm. So the Iquettes, I mean, we, not the Iquettes, but we, we had a, a nice mixed group of people touring all over the country. With, and Dick was on the bus with us a lot. Oh. Dick Clark actually jumped on the bus and stayed at motels with us. It, what a great guy. And uh, we, we did went from, from Texas to Canada and to California and everything in the middle for a while. Hmm. Now, were you on the same caravan with the Turtles? They talk about being on one with Tom Jones, and I think they say Chad and Jeremy in. There's Herman's Hermits, too. But I don't know if it crossed over if it's different caravans, as it were. Yeah, I think we missed the Turtles that year. Okay. Uh, they were on earlier in the year or later in the year. Or it was, this was 65, long mm -hmm. time ago, you know. So, uh, yeah, we missed them then. But, I, you know, in, con in subsequent years, over the years, I got to play open for them once or twice, which was great. Up in Monterey, we did a Monterey uh, car show together. And mm -hmm. I actually used their band uh, to back me up. Okay. And one of the things I like to ask always is just, uh, that was your first hit record, but how did you get your start? I mean, did you know from a, a small child that you wanted to be a singer or what was, what was your aspirations early on? I, I was enthralled with music by age six and seven. Hmm. I was imitating a singer named Johnny Ray <laughs> who had a hit called Little, Little White. Right, right. And his big shtick was to, in the middle of the song, get very emotional and rip off his jacket and then sing and almost cry. And as a kid, that's, that was my bit. I would do that from, I'd sing cry and rip off my jacket, you know? So I was into it very early. But when I was about 12 years old, 13, I busted my arm. Mm. And I had to take, uh, my arm was very stiff. And the doctor said, you have to squeeze a ball or play an instrument. And I was a huge fan of Elvis. So I said, I want a guitar. 
my dad got me a little guitar and a little amp and stuff. And I started to play guitar and I formed a group right away. And uh, before you know, we were playing local areas in the New York area, uh, little, little, you know, clubs and things. And, and uh, when I was about 16, 17, I, I got an audition for Don Kirshner. Mm. And he signed me as staff demo maker. Mm. Of course, the demo makers had been Neil Sedaka and Tony Orlando and a whole bunch of other people who went on to become stars. So I walked in the office the first day and there was Neil Sedaka and Tony Orlando and Carol King and, you know, Man and Wild. They were all in the office. I'm like, it was it was pop music heaven. I just I just, you just I said, thank you. You know, the stars put me in that place. And I, I worked for Kirshner for like three or four years. Mm hmm. Now, since you're affiliated with Kirshner, when like the Monkees Project came along, were you ever considered to be one of the Monkees or even a singer for them or anything like that at that time? Or were you too busy doing other things by that point? No, no. In New York City, Don had a lot of us audition and do a tapes, a videotape where we're singing and speaking. And they sent those tapes out. to. I was up for the part of Davey. <laughs> you know, Kirshner said it, Kirshner would have loved to have me in there because I was a staff writer al already. He knew my voice. He knew my personality. Uh, but, you know, the guys on the West Coast had a, a much uh, easier way. You know, they were there in person. They could walk. Davy Jones could walk in the office. and Mickey could walk in the office and be do it, you know. So uh, but I was up for it. And uh, so was a, a ton of other singers in New York City auditioning. You know, we all tried to get on. We knew it was going to be a great gig. No doubt Donnie was going to have a success musically with that TV show. No doubt. Did you ever get as far as like a, a, a filmed audition like you see on a couple of the episodes, one of those black and white films, or did it not go that far? Uh, my audition in New York was like that. I spoke to the camera. I played my guitar. I sang a little bit, said a little bit about myself. And uh, that was it was very similar to what you saw on the, you know, the actual monkeys auditions. That's very cool. OK. And. So you did get into a group, uh, the Cufflinks, for a brief time. <laughs> so how did that come about? It, it was Paul Vance again. Mm. He called me up. He said, we're doing a demo on this song. Could you come in, do the lead vocal, and then make up a background? Mm -hmm. So I came in. I listened to it. I said, oh, I like the name, Tracy. I said, there's not many songs named Tracy ever. So I, I, I worked on the lead vocal, uh, Paul and his, uh, his uh, writing partner, Lee Pockris, uh, Lee did the arrangement, really cute arrangement on Tracy, really nice horns, you know, strings, very nice. And I did about 20 voices on Tracy. I wanted it to sound like the Turtles. <laughs> I did. I was, I love their sound. I love the way they multi-tracked backgrounds and how they had answers to things and a lot of ba ba bas. So if you listen to Tracy, you'll hear ba 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 all through it. You know? So I was I was really imitating, uh, you know, Howard and Mark. Very cool. Um, you said earlier that uh, at some point you used to open for the turtles, and I was just curious uh, what were what were what were the turtles like in those days on stage? I mean, you you see like the TV performances like on Ed Sullivan, but those seem to be structured in one song and off. But I mean, were they crazy and madcap like they were later on as Flo and Eddie and things like that? Uh, I didn't work with them in their early years, probably oh, okay. their mid, mid years, Okay. right? Uh, 90s. Oh, okay. Maybe. So by that point, yeah, they were doing the Flo and Eddie type thing. They were doing, <laughs> the, they were doing their madcap stuff. 
and uh, and and they were wild men on stage. I just yeah. love their comedy and their you know Howard is the loosest guy on stage I've ever seen. Mark is like with his tambourines flinging up in the air, you know, and telling jokes and you know they dress up. You've seen their act; they dress up yeah. and stuff. You know, uh, we 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 honestly talked about that. Mark Mark and I talked about should I do this when I became the lead singer of the group on the Happy Together tour? Should I dress up in something? You know. <laughs> wear wigs i don't know and he said uh, no no we're going to pay attention to the music this time wow pay attention to the great songs that we recorded and reproduce them exactly the way they were done same arrangements same keys and uh n nothing unusual and i i really actually copied howard's uh phrasing and tone when i became when i when i was doing the lead yes yeah so um when i go see a show and I used to go see Flo and Eddie and Turtles as much as possible. I would go there with the mindset that I would be getting as much comedy as I was getting music. And, you know, there's, there's certain acts like that. You know, Bette Midler is, you know, her show is a lot of talking, a lot of shtick. And if you go back to um, Jay Black from Jay and the Americans, you know, half the time he's on stage, he's insulting Frankie Valley or he... <laughs> He was doing, you know, that kind, that was part, and, and if you knew the show and you were up for it, you were going in there and you were loving the comedy as much as the music. Yes. But I know that there was that many people who never saw the Turtles before, who went to see the show and were like, just play the music. So you're always, <laughs> you're always going to get that balance of people who, who know the show and love what they're getting and the ones who aren't familiar with it. So is now, is it going to be now a culture shock? I guess you've done it for a little while and hopefully you're going to be going out more with the turtles, but is there the people now who are saying, where's the slapstick? Where's the silliness? <laughs> or are there more that are happy now that it's pure turtles? <laughs> the, the reaction of, I've done the turtle show two summers in a row, right? We toured like 50 cities, 60 cities. There was not one comment that they wanted more comedy. People <laughs> were very, very happy to hear Happy Together Pure. They were very uh, pleased to hear uh, She'd Rather Be With Me and uh, the hits uh, be because this is what's ingrained in their minds. So I, I, we didn't feel that pressure at all. And I was very, I was very relieved. Because, you know, it, it's nice to know that we can rely on the strength of those great songs. Those songs will last forever. Mm -hmm. they're, they're, you know, Happy Together is going to be in the vernacular forever. Right. And that song right. will be used in commercials. So we didn't get any static whatsoever. Uh, and the promoters were very happy about that. Is the set shorter now? Because half the stuff was goofing around. So if they were doing five songs and it was, you know, uh, <laughs> 20 minutes of songs, there was probably 15 minutes of silly stuff. So now is the set, is there more stuff in the set or is it just tight and, and, and allows, how many songs are in the set? What songs are in the set? And how is it different than when Howard and Mark were, were you know, the comedy duo? We added one or two songs. Uh, they, uh, Mark does his own comedy, though, in between songs, just not as long. But he tells stories, he, he plays around, he, it's still fun, and it's laughter. And it's very different than the other acts that precede us. We do about seven songs, uh, mainly because there's a time limit on the entire show. 
There's like two hours, two and a half hours, 15 minute break, three acts in the beginning, three acts in the, in the second half. And the, and the casinos are very strict about that. <laughs> Hit, hits 11 o'clock, you better be off the stage or they'll pull the plug. So wow. <laughs> we're limited that way, but we still get everything in. Mark mm-hmm. gets his comedy in and, and sings, you know, with me. And we do, you know, we have a great time, but it's, but the purity of the songs comes true through i must say and i'm very happy about that because uh maybe next year when we finally if we get to out this year or next year we'll add one more song that that hasn't been in the in the cat in the, you know in our catalog now do you do the exact same set every night or do you switch a few in and out during the tour we, we don't we don't switch anything in and out okay. we do the whole set every night same as same as before okay. Uh, it's just it's programmed into the you know the the arrange you know the band has their little computers in front of them with the sh- what's coming next. If we throw them a curve, it'll be five <laughs> minutes before they before we get that band going again. Um, question: I don't even know. Uh, in forgive me, but uh, but how were you selected for this? I know Howard has had some uh, health problems and things like that. I mean, were you the first choice or? How did it come about that you got on the tour? Well, you know, I, I toured in uh, 2017. I was the opening act. I opened for the whole show. Uh, I'm doing my cufflinks, my Archies, and some of my commercials. That I was a commercial singer. You guys both know I sang for Pepsi, Coke, and every, everything under the sun. Any job I could get, I got. So I just, but uh, I, so after that first season, probably when we were off, you know, during the year, and about January, I got a call and the call was, we're interested in you being the lead singer of the Turtles. What do you think about that? I almost dropped the phone. I said, <laughs> you want me to sing their set? I said, what an honor. What great stuff. I said, I love that catalog of stuff. I love I can sing everyone in the same key the record was in. Mm-hmm. I watched Howard every night, right, when I was on the tour with them as the Archies. So I said, immediately, I said, yes. I said, count me in. I'm going to learn this. I'm going to learn every nuance of those songs right now. So <laughs> I was ready. But that was it. I think I'm, they, they saw me live every night, you know, Mark and Howard. So they understood my, my range, my sound, my uh, discipline and showing up and doing a job every night. Because we did like five shows a week, you know, out of seven days. That's a lot of traveling and singing. So, I, you know, I was prepared for it. And I was very happy to get that call. So I, I don't know if I was the first call, but <laughs> I was the one that took it. <laughs> very cool. Yeah. Um, now, is there a chance? I mean, I don't know. Uh, do, you, do you stay in touch with Howard? Is there any chance that he may come back? Or is he pretty much out of commission at this point? You know, I can't speak for Howard, but the it, what I get is that he's kind of like he cannot do the road work. Mm. You know, he's not physically up for the road itself. It took a lot out of him. He busted his foot, I think, one tour, and he had to perform in a wheelchair. Oh, wow. I mean, he, he, you know, he, I think he's kind of uh, retired in a way, but you never know. I mean, he yeah. may come back. <laughs> to, you but, never yeah. know. You know, these, but so far, the last, I would, I was booked for this uh, last year. Mm-hmm. So that would be the third year I would have been on it that he didn't want to do it. And they're talking about putting me on for next year. Mm-hmm. So they're already speaking, they're asking me to hold next summer, you know, in 22. Mm-hmm. So we'll see, you know, I, I never can tell. Something may pop this year, you know, later <laughs> in the year. 
Now, is this the only touring you do when you can tour, or do you also do an Archie show in your own uh, set? Yeah, in addition, I do. Oh, yeah, okay. I do. Yeah, I, I, I'll take other gigs. <laughs> Charles, where? <laughs> Charlie, <laughs> hey, you know, the guy's, the guy's ready. No, I, I love my, my Archie Cuffling shows with the commercials. There's a lot of fun to do, and, mm-hmm. and the people get a kick out of it. So I always like that. And when I need a band, I have a band out here on the West Coast. I have a band on the East Coast. You know, all I need is a band in Chicago, and I'm set. Right. Know? Now, when, when you got into the Archies, uh, was that Kirshner's doing again? I mean, it was obviously with Kirshner, but I mean, were you first choice there? Or as well, or did you have to audition for that as well? You know, you know, I, they were considering a couple of other guys. They were considering the, the voice of uh, the Ohio Express, Joey Levine. He was a good friend of mine. He's a major j- jingle producer. I mean, he, beside writing, uh, you know, Yummy, 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 you know, and a couple of other things, yeah. or Life is a Rock, but he was the group reunion. They considered him, but when it came down to it, I heard about it, and I called Jeff Barry, who's the producer, and I called Donnie, and I said, let me come over. I'll sing a few of the songs, see what you think. I went over to the RCA studio. I sang Bang Shang-A-Lang for them. They said, oh, you're the voice. You'll be fine. And, that, and that's the way the Archies happened. Mm-hmm. There was, yeah. a, there was yeah. a bubblegum song, Quick Joey Small Went Over the Wall. It was one of those Cats and Cats uh, productions. Was that Joey on, on the vocal? Yes. Really? You can't miss Joey's voice. It goes, you know, yummy, yummy, yummy. I got nothing. <laughs> he's got he's got that sound. Yeah, that, that was him. He probably wrote it. That's cool. <laughs> um, here's something I have never asked you, uh when I've asked you Archie's questions, is that um when you did your solo album that was called Ron Dante Brings You Up at that time, it kind of came in between two Archie's albums. Did you know you were doing your own solo album? I mean, that sounds like a silly question, but were you just recording songs and then some ended up on an Archie's album and some ended up on your own? Or were you sitting down saying, I want to do my solo album now? No, the, 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 the promise from Don Kirshner was, if the Archie's are a success, I promise you I'll get you a major push as a soloist on RCA or Kirshner Records. Mm-hmm. And he lived up to that. Yeah. He said, I see, he said, what, who, what, which producer would you like me to get for you? He said, you can do it yourself or I'll bring in a producer, anybody. Because he had ties to the entire music business. I said, I want Jeff Barry. I mean, this is a hit songwriter, a hit producer. I mean, he did all those Archie hits brilliantly. You know, they always sounded great. So uh, I wanted Jeff. And so we went in, I, I wrote a bunch of songs for it. Jeff wrote one or two. He wrote, let me bring you up with uh, Andy Kim. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I got my shot. RCA pushed it like crazy. People just didn't want me as a soloist at the time. They wanted the Archies. <laughs> so <laughs> go figure. You know, at least at least I had the shot. Yeah. Fortunately, I found a, a copy of it later on, so I do have it on vinyl. Uh, yeah. And it's a very good album. You know, it's too bad it didn't do better. But uh, the later Archies albums didn't do as well. And I'm I'm curious about those. I mean. Later on, were you doing songs? It seemed like you were doing songs that weren't on the cartoons. They were just like, the cartoons are over here and Archie's albums are over here. Like the song that comes to mind is Summer Prayer for Peace. You know, that was never on the cartoon show. Uh, So did you try to take it into a different direction to make it more mature or something like that? Uh, What was going on near the end of the 
cycle, as it were. Not, not really. We just, we just kept writing and producing things. I worked with a guy named Richie Adams, who, who co-produced the, the This Is Love album. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, we just went for pop songs, you know. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, the, when the Archies kind of lost their luster after the first four or five singles, because there was no group touring. And the radio people decided, you know, enough of this. There's no live group. There's nobody out there performing on the road. And there never would be. So uh, I think, it, it, you know, that's what happened with it. It ran its course. It had, we had the number one record of 1969. We had four or five charts after that. And uh, it was a great run. The show was on for, I think, four years. Mm -hmm. and, we, and I contributed music to each show. So... Mm -hmm. uh, it was, it was a good run. And it, it, now every song I ever recorded, over a hundred, are on YouTube. People can <laughs> listen to Archie music and watch the cartoons as if they were done yesterday. And they, you know, Sugar Sugar's had well over, you know, 300 million hits. I yep. mean, it's like a phenomenal success on mm -hmm. YouTube. I mean, if you add up all the, all the ones that are being played, uh, it, it, it's kind of uh, gratifying to see that this work you do lives on. Right. It's hard to believe that that was like the top song of 1969 because you think, oh, everything should be political and hip and everything. And then you get this, you know, basic bubblegum song. <laughs> but, I know. And no and offense, it's a great song, but, you know, still it's like compared to it could have been The Doors or it could have been somebody else, you know, but it's it Archie. It you know? <laughs> yeah, it could have been The Beatles, The Rolling Stones, The Fifth Dimension, Tommy Rowe. Could have been all these people that had big number ones, but... We we saw they the figure they gave me was about six million singles worldwide <laughs> for that year. Now I'm I'm not sure, but one a million one way or the other. But still, we were a big seller. And mm -hmm. I remember Kirshner saying, "Damn, we're not getting a Grammy nomination." You know, <laughs> he he expected a Grammy nomination. I said, "Donnie, it's a cartoon show." You know, <laughs> Who would like accept it? <laughs> so wait, if the Monkees were able to release their Good Times album in 2016, isn't it time for a new Archie's album? That's that's a very good, that's a great idea. But the uh, you know the Archie's name is uh, the Archie's um, band or the Archie's name is owned by Archie Comics and now by the people that have Riverdale. Mm -hmm. So it's up to them to do something. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I pro I proposed it for years. I actually about. 15 years ago, did a Christmas album. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I knew you yeah, did a Christmas I, I, album. I yeah. got the comic book people, got the comic book people to uh, okay it. I said, just give me a graphic. Give me a, a, a Christmas graphic with the girls and stuff, and we'll put it out as the Betty and Veronica and the Archies. So we did it. You know, it, it didn't sell that well, but uh, I, I was happy to <laughs> push it through. It was fun. The girls were cute. Mm -hmm. You know, if you see the girl, Betty and Veronica, they were in real life, they were really cute. And mm -hmm. they had a nice vocal sound. Now, did you ever appear as the Archies anywhere? I mean, I mean, not later on as a nostalgic, but I mean, during the time, I mean, or was it always like on Ed Sullivan, they had the Sugar Sugar cartoon, the filmation cartoon, stuff like that. Did you ever appear as the Archies during that period? Never. Okay. No, we, <laughs> Just... that, was, that was the deal. The deal was anonymous. Stay mm -hmm. anonymous. Don't t don't tell anybody, and uh, let the cartoon have a life of its own. So mm -hmm. that that was you know I was singing commercials at the time. So you know it was just it was a gig. I had a great time doing it, and I was very proud of it. Hmm. And you know what's actually great if you think about it? There's these you can like go go down the list. Cat Mother, All Night Newsboys, all these bands that had hits, and you don't know really who did the singing. You don't know any of the members' bands. 
you are identical. I think the world knows that the Archies is you. And that's actually, that's commendable. I mean, that's amazing because it could have been just, you know, disappeared. And, you know, I, I remember reading a gold mine article about you many years ago. And I'm like, wow, this is great. They're recognizing. I mean, so, yeah. Am I, am I right with that? You're right about that. Uh, the, it, the connection has been made. Uh, I started to perform in 2000. I, I was going out regularly and that started the ball rolling even more about the connection between my name and the Archies and the, and the hits. So uh, it's just uh, also the internet helped a lot, yeah. you know, the, the media, you know, if, if there wasn't any uh, social media, it would be a lot more difficult to, to connect yourself to the hits, but because of the media, it's the greatest of all worlds, you know? I mean, mm -hmm. millions of people watch YouTube and they see my, vi there's a video of me up there, like three or four of me in one video singing Sugar Sugar. It's a, you know, <laughs> and that, that was a, that, that connects me also. So I'm very fortunate about that. You know, my friend, my good friend, Tony Burroughs in England had five hit groups. He sang Love Grows Where My Rosemary Goes. He sang right. Beach Baby. You know, he sang United We Stand. Brotherhood of Nature. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's unbelievable, but he never got the connection to it. But uh, he's getting it there. You never can tell. He's a cool. good guy. He's a friend of mine. Now, I know uh, currently you have an album that you're pushing that kind of ties into Archie a little bit because it's called Funhouse, which was one of the TV shows, Archie's Funhouse. He didn't put Archie on it. But there's some Archie's tracks and things like that. So uh, how did that one come about? Well, uh, uh, there's a label in town. Uh, it's called Fuel 2000 now. It's, uh, it's, it's uh, Sunset Records. A good friend of mine owns it and runs it, Len Fico. And Len called me one day. He said, it's time for something. to Let's put a double album together. He mm -hmm. said, and I think it should have a cartoon on the cover. Mm -hmm. And I said, great, great idea. I'll get Dan Parent from Archie Comics mm -hmm. to do a soda pop. You know, you know, whatever, with a jukebox on it. So uh, he did. We did that. I put together a bunch of Dance of the Weeks that we didn't have out. The Archie's mm -hmm. Dance of the Weeks. A lot of unreleased cuts are on it, and it's like forty-six cuts. Some mm -hmm. of my favorite songs that I like. There's a Sugar Sugar version that Barry Manilow arranged. It's a dance <laughs> version of it, and that's on it. And, you know, so there's a, and and I even put four or five of my commercials on it. So you know what what the heck? It was it was a lot of fun project to do, and I'm very I really like it. You know, mm -hmm. it was, the quality of the uh, production is very very high. The sound is good, even though we took some of it from vinyl. It still sounds very very good. Mm -hmm. Was it hard to track down some of those things, like say the Kent cigarette <laughs> jingle or something like that? Or did people just have it in their archives? Or was no, that a, was a friend of mine, uh, Laura, Laura Pinto is a friend of mine and a, a big fan. And she, she, she's found a lot of my commercials over the years and mm -hmm. sends them to me. So I got to thank her for finding the cant or the, the uh, whatever, what Trident gum, you know, yep. you know, all kinds of gum. I did all kinds and of stuff. I mean, I said General Tires one. <laughs> General Tires. That was like, a, that was a big TV spot. <laughs> you know, if I put all my commercials on one, it would, there would be like 100 or 200 wow. that you know. <laughs> yeah, that was what they call Jingle King. For a while. <laughs> um, and then what was I going to ask you about? It's like, uh, oh, there's other tracks from the Amazing Chan and the Chan Clan, which you did after the Archies. And I was always curious about that. Was there ever supposed to be an album of that at the time? I mean, I know you got tracks on it 
on the Funhouse. Uh, but what was the story on that? Well, that was a good Don Kirshner project again. He mm -hmm. came to me, said, why don't you write and produce for this new TV show? It'll be the first Asian America, American uh, TV cartoon show on a Saturday morning with big, big buildup. I said, well, it's, it's Charlie Chan and his kids. I said, well, that's great, great. And uh, they'll, they'll have a band? I, he said, yeah. So I, I, went, I went back and I met with my good friend, Howard Greenfield, who did the lyrics for all these 10 or 12 songs that we wrote. Now, Howard, of course, wrote all the Neil Sedaka hits. Yeah, I was going to say he's Neil Sedaka's partner, yeah. Almost all the Neil Sedaka hits. <laughs> and, uh, he, you know, Love Will Keep Us Together, one of the greatest songs ever I love. But he, uh, he came up with the lyrics for it, and they're really cool. So we put together, I thought it was going to be released. But something happened between Filmation, the, the, the company, and Don Kirshner. Hmm. It must have been a money problem because all hmm. of a sudden there's no album. And here we are on a Saturday morning and we, we should have had an album out. So right. that those things happen. You know, you know, you win some, you lose some. But right. those, those tracks still exist and, and they sound good. You know, Undercover Man and, you know, I Got My Eye on You. Some of these <laughs> songs that Howie came up with, the titles, uh, they'll, they'll stand the test of time. They're a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, later there's an Archie show called The U.S. of Archie, like in the mid-70s for the Bicentennial. But you weren't involved in that. I don't think there's much music in it. Or if it was, it wasn't Archie's music, you know, with Ron Dante. Uh, were you too busy uh, producing Barry Manilow at that period of time, probably? Is that what was going on? I don't think they wanted me. <laughs> <laughs> I think they just wanted to do what they do on the West Coast. I, we were all in the, on the East Coast at that time. And, I, I, you know, if they had called, I would have loved to have been a part of it. But they, they had separated from Kirshner. Hmm. And uh, and gone on with their own music, underscores and stuff. I think it was right. a big mistake. They should have kept the songs coming because the songs were the hook of the right. shows, also, not just the, the you know not just the stories. So um, I'm I'm a firm believer in song sell it. Mm -hmm. And let's see, what other things do I have here? <laughs> do you have any questions, Charles? While I look I at my do, notes. <laughs> so um, I know that you really didn't get involved with um, Howard and Mark until. You were touring with Happy Together in, in the 90s and all that. Did you work with any of the other members of the Turtles? Did you know any of the other guys who were in the band aside from the two leads? No, no. no. You know, I just knew Howard and Mark. If you had to describe them, if I said, Howard, walk up to the street, you've got to describe Howard in a few words. What would come to mind with Howard? What would be your reaction to that? First thing out of my mouth would be, what a great singer. What a great sound. And he, and he sang every night when I was on tour with him. He, he brought it every, vocally every night. And of course, all the hit records, if you listen to those vocals, it, it's magic. No auto-tuned, no computers, just pure. They caught the vocal. That's what you get. And, he's, and he sold those songs. I mean, he just sold every one of those records that they made all through the years. So that's the first thing I would say. Great voice and a uh, serious person. I, I've spent, I spent many a night listening to him tell me stories about his early beginnings, about his times with uh, different, different people and uh, acts, of course. Uh, and he's had a wonderful life. And he's also, he's not only serious, he, he cares about things. So that's what I would say about Howard. He, he cares about things. That's why he and Mark 
promoted the idea that artists should get more money when they're getting their records played on YouTube or Sirius Radio. They had a whole legal thing with Sirius Radio that ended up getting all the other artists money, but they were booted from Sirius for a couple of years because, yeah. because they, they were upset. Sirius was upset with them. So yeah. that's what I would say about him. He's a, he's a, he's a, he's a smart guy, very smart. Uh, not the wild and crazy guy you see on stage. He's, you know, that's part of what he does. And he, you know, and he does it well. And if I ask the same thing about Mark? Mark is just a hoot. I mean, first of all, he's an avid baseball fan. I would say he follows the Dodgers. He follows his teams. He listens on, the, you know, so that's one thing. He's a warm guy. He's very warm. He's got, he's got a great, he can, he can play instruments he can sing he can write he can produce uh that's he's got he's got all those things going for himself and uh and wh what you see on stage is basically who he is you know he cares he's telling funny things and he's you know, but when it in his private moments he he's uh he's also serious about his life and i i, I really enjoyed my time with both of them so ron you know i i admire your versatility when you sing you can do anyone you can imitate you can sound like yourself you can sound like others which is proven in the turtle show and i always felt that way about howard you know yes he had his own distinct voice but if he was doing a beatles tribute or a beach boys tribute or no matter what he was doing a reggae he could pull it off and you know there's so much to be said about both of you but i'm focusing on the turtles because uh do, do you think they're happy with their lot in life do you think they're content with the way rock perceives them or do they feel they should be rock and roll hall of fame do they feel they weren't respected enough mind you you know that was a band that went out as a band it wasn't a group that was just the two lead singers and they would pick up whoever they went with so they were you know a real set unit in a time where the wrecking crew was playing behind everybody and you know a lot of the greatest bands of all had other bands doing their recordings and they did their own so this is a long question to probably a short answer but are the, you think they're happy with their lot in life as it is now? You know, I, 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 could, I can't say what they're feeling. Okay, I never got a, a, the indication that they were resentful of the notoriety they had. They might have been upset by the amount of money that was taken from them, you know, by the, the amount of money they were not receiving when their records got played all the time and they were used in commercials and nobody paid them. So that's why they had to sue. But uh, as I said, they're serious musicians. Uh, whatever, I don't know what they feel about that. They never confided in me about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame or anything like that. From my money, and I have been in the business all my life, Nobody deserves to be more in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame than the Turtles. I mean, they should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. They, they, they had 10 hits, 20 hits. They were, they were influences. They influenced other groups, other artists, all through their careers. So, you know, that's my personal take on it. But I, I can't speak for them personally on that, that subject. As I said, they are serious guys. They, they took their music and their life seriously, and they had a lot of fun with it. And that was their act, to have the most fun in the world and get, to be wild and raucous. But, uh, you know, they took the song seriously, and, they took, and those records were beautifully made. And as I said, those records will last forever. There's no doubt. Yeah, the only thing Howard ever said in his autobiography is he says, 
politics. That was the only thing he said about the whole Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And I go, I could probably guess, I suppose. But yeah, it, it does seem weird because like the monkeys always say, well, well, they didn't write their own, in- they didn't write their own stuff and they didn't play their own instruments, which isn't true. But, you know, it's like, and they were formed inorganically, you know, but the turtles don't have any of that. They they formed naturally. They started in high school and, you know, went on from there. So it's kind of weird. So it is kind of yeah, it is kind of weird. Uh, they they were the genuine article, and I have to say, the monkeys were the genuine article also. Look at the impact they had on the musical culture. You can't deny that they had a huge impact. It lasts till today. There's millions of fans out there who still love the monkeys and deservedly so. And uh, so, you know, whatever, however groups evolve, whether it's one guy who's leading the group or it's, or it's two guys who sing in duets, the, the, these, you know, this is, a, this is music, you know, and the music lasts, you know, last train to Clarksville and I'm a believer will live, for, live forever. They'll be, it'll be getting played music and be copied by future artists. So, uh, you know, and that's, that's longevity is the most important cue here. And they both have it, you know. The Turtles, of course, you know, they, they're going to get in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. When, when the leadership changes, they'll, they'll be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. There's no doubt about it. It's the leadership. They've got their own set of priorities and who they want to put in, how hip they want to be, you know, authentic <laughs> they want to be, which they're not. You know, let's face it, they, you know, all their choices are not so great. You know what? What finally ends up, but it's 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 a combination. It's a whole bunch of people voting. You know, for the top thing. So what? You know, things change. Change is the only thing you can expect that will happen. Really, it, it, it'll happen. Now, how about how about yourself? Would you like to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? <laughs> of course. <laughs> I, I have the, I have this vision. I have this vision, and the vision is there should be a category called Bubblegum Rock. Because let's take away the onus that bubblegum was bad. It's not bad. It was meant for very young people, you know, preteens and young people who chew bubblegum. So if they put a bubblegum rock thing in there, they can, in, in, they can put in the 1910 Fruit Gum Company, Ohio Express, Tommy Rowe, Tommy James. They can put in people that have been ignored, but under this new thing. And, uh, you know, that's, it's, it's, I just put this out there in the universe, hoping that somebody will hear it, you know, mm-hmm. and someday, because the Archies are mentioned. When I toured the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame years ago, 10 years, 15 years ago, there's a little thing that says number one record, a plaque, says number one record 1969, Sugar Sugar by the Archies. <laughs> it's, it's, in, it's in there. And when, and when you go to buy CDs, no more CDs, but when I went to buy some CDs there in their merchandising shop, they had four Archie albums. Wow. <laughs> they, right in there. I bought them. I said, well, I, I, you know, this, this is good. It shouldn't be a bubblegum uh, category. It should be an AM radio category. Okay. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I can take that. That's, that's, even, that's even easier for them to swallow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right good idea let's let let's write a petition am radio pop hits whatever yeah. am radio stars yeah. i have a couple more questions uh in charles mind i don't know but for me before i i'm done um so you mentioned group back here i see on your screen some gold records or something what's that what's back there behind you say <laughs> those three records are, are girls i produced <laughs> Pat Benatar is on the left. 
Because oh, wow. I, I worked with her on our first record, You Better Run, Heartbreaker. The next one's Share, mm -hmm. which is the Take Me Home album. I, I produced a few cuts on Share. And the next one is Dion Warwick, which, which I helped Manilow produce all those records there. And I sang on every one. So those three are there. The other ones, let's see. That's a Manilow record. That's a Manilow 2001 uh, uh I forget what they called it. Anyway, that's there. So I have a few. I have a few. Let's see. And I have some of them. Oh. <laughs> wow. <laughs> a lot more. Yeah, and I have my things. Those are all Manilow records. Oh, wow. Everyone. We did nine albums together. Yeah. Nine or ten albums. And uh, it, was, it, was a, it was a dream job to work with a great singer and a great arranger and a, a guy who knew that he was going to be a star. You know, it was a, it was a dream job. Well, and then I have one more question, and then I'll leave it to Charles if he has any more. Um, so we're friends with this guy named Plastic EP. I think you might have been interviewed by him. <laughs> and he and a couple other friends started this disco site. Now, Charles and I argue about what is disco and what isn't, but I found out you did a disco record called Dante's Inferno. How did that one come about? <laughs> you know, disco was super hot in 1979. Super hot, 78, 79. Everybody was doing a disco. You know, Rod Stewart was doing, do you, do you think I'm sexy? Whatever. You know, all the different things are out there. So um, I, I was involved in uh, working on a Broadway show as a producer called Ain't Misbehaving. And I said, you know, these, two, these Fats Waller songs, they would make great dance records. So I went in the studio with my good friend, Harold Wheeler who's a top arranger, producer of Broadway, Broadway musicals. And, uh, the, you know, the, he was the band leader, arranger for uh, lots of people. He did Get On Down the Road, you know, Harold. We did, and I said, let's do a whole disco album. So we did, and I sold it to a label. And they said, well, just what are you going to call it? I said, how about Dante's Inferno? Because Disco Inferno was hot, you know. So we did it. And we had, I had one song on there called Fire Island, which still gets played every mm -hmm. summer, you know, because I wrote it. I had a house out in Fire Island. There, there are two sections, you know, one for families, one for guys. Mine was for, uh, the, I, I was in the family section with my wife. And, uh, but I, I always liked Fire Island. So I thought, hey, this is great. It's a hot place. So I wrote a song about it. So that's why I got into Dante's Inferno. Very cool. <laughs> All right. Charles? <laughs> I just want to tell Ron something I never told him. <laughs> when my kids were born, uh, right in the car, we had a computer stereo, so I would download a, a disc, and it would play nonstop. I had to brainwash them into Beatles and Monkeys and Four Seasons and Supremes. But then there was a disc called uh, Kids Must, and it, and, the, and it had Chewy Chewy and Yummy Yummy, but the first song was sugar sugar so, so it's a part of their dna and i never told you that i always wanted to tell you that that was the first song that would come on automatically when we got in the car wow. you know the funny thing is we caught something that night in the studio when i sang it and the jeff barry mixed it in like a half hour just something happened on that track even andy kim said you know if i had done it it probably wouldn't have sounded the same so we caught something that night. I had been working like five years already in the business, you know, trying to find a hit. And, uh, and that night it happened, you know, it's like, and I'm, I'm glad it, it made your family, it got into your family DNA. A uh, <laughs> lot, of, lot of people, it was one of the first records they ever heard because they cut it out of a, a Sugar Pops box <laughs> and they played it to death. 
I still I, have it. I still have the, the cardboard I, record for the cereal I, box. And you know they made 10 million boxes? That was <laughs> a get, lot of sugar did you get royalties? Did you get royalties for those? Not a thing. Aww. Not a thing. Not a thing. That was the deal. You know, no royalties at the time. I later re renegotiated some of it and got rights. But uh, it, it was the first rock and roll a lot of kids heard mm. when, they, when they were growing up. And, and, and it was a good rock and roll. You know, it was a good, clean song, uh, danceable. It was a huge dance hit in Europe, in France, in Germany, in uh, London, in uh, Italy. Uh, I visited those places and I went to the discotheques and they were playing Sugar Sugar. It was, I, I said, wow, they don't even know what the Archies are. They don't care. <laughs> well, All right. Charles, do you have anything else? Or, uh... well, I've had the pleasure of interviewing Ron a number of times. So anything I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask again. This was pretty much, you know, I'm here to make sure that your show goes well, Mark. All right, thanks. <laughs> well, um, I'll, I'll give it to Ron at this point. Is there anything now that you'd like to promote? I mean, you can re-promote the Funhouse album or anything you'd like to talk about or how people can get in contact with you or where to buy your albums, things like that. Well, sure. Uh, the latest project is Funhouse. It came out a while ago. And as I said, I'm very proud of a double disc it's it's all over the place. You can stream it. You can buy it on Amazon. Uh, you know, it'll you can get a transfusion and get it. I don't know. The, the main thing is that that's out, and I'm happy about it. I'm, I was hopeful that we'd go out this summer on the Happy Together tour. Uh, it looks like we're backing up the months right now, but I can't talk too much about that. So right now, I'm just keeping my vocals up. up because you never know when you're going to need to sing, you know? So I'm kind of once a week, I practice my show and I, I try to do vocal exercises. But if anybody wants to contact me, I have two Facebook so uh, sections. Uh, you can find me one's in a red jacket, the other's with an Archie's poster. And mm -hmm. I, I, I look at all my Facebook um, postings. Uh, then go to my website, rondante.com and get all the information they need about me. My entire life is available for a, a, a small price. No, it's available, <laughs> it's out there, you know, and uh, you, you never know what's gonna happen tomorrow. You never know. Uh, that's the good thing about what we do is, we, you know, we're interested. We have something to get out of bed for and, mm -hmm. and, and enjoy life, you know, and, uh, make, and make things better. Hopefully the stuff that I do makes things a little better. Definitely do for so many years. And we couldn't be more thankful. Uh, listeners who can spell, go to www.ronronandante.com. Thank you, guys. And thank you for all the years of entertainment. <laughs> you never know. It may continue. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I, I, have my sights, I have my sights set on, uh, you know, a second half. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. All right. Okay, well, guys, it was it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. It was great to be with you guys. Wonderful. You asked all the right questions. <laughs> I'm giving you an outro song, Mark. <laughs> all right. Well, this has been the Fun Ideas Podcast with Charles Rosene and the incomparable Ron Dante down here. <laughs> Thank you, guys. All right. Thank you very much. And okay. we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening, and thank you, Charles Rosene and Ron Dante, for being my special guests. Remember, you can always watch the video version of this episode on YouTube. Episode number 111.
will be coming soon. If you would like to comment and or be a guest on this podcast, please drop me a line at funideas.mark at gmail.com. Become a patron of Mark Arnold and Fun Ideas Productions. If everyone listening just contributed a dollar a month, that would be a tremendous help in continuing the production of my books and this podcast. Also, subscribe to my YouTube channel. The opening and closing music for the Fun Ideas podcast is provided courtesy of Danny Salazi of The Characters and is used with permission. This has been the Fun Ideas podcast. This is Mark Arnold speaking. This episode is copyright 2021 Fun Ideas Productions. Thank you and good night.